Well, we're going to get started here uh, looking at John 17. Actually, we're going to start with prayer first. So if you uh, have a Bible and you're going to open it up and follow along, we're looking at John 17, verse 3, just, just that verse today. And as you're turning there, uh, I can pray for us, then we'll read the Scripture. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we pray that you would help us now by the power of your Spirit as we consider these wonderful words spoken by your Son in prayer. We pray that you would shape our lives by this word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is John seventeen three. Jesus said in prayer, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So these are the very words of the incarnate Son of God Himself, uh, spoken in prayer to His Father. John 17 is this wonderful passage, the high priestly prayer. Uh, He's praying some of the most important prayers we find throughout the Scriptures, uh, the most important prayers Jesus is praying for His people. It's the night before His sacrifice, and He's going to God and saying the things that are on His heart that He uh, has longed to pray at this moment. So uh, there's a commentary, uh, commentary by Leslie Newbigin, Uh, on the book of John, and he says this, he says, the prayer, this prayer um, we find in John 17, the prayer leads us into the very heart of the ministry and message of Jesus, leads us into the very heart of the ministry and message of Jesus. So if you want to know what Jesus' life and teachings are about, uh, this is it, what you find in John 17. You cannot find more profound words recorded in the scriptures uh, than in what you find uh, here in this chapter. And these words mean everything to us as uh, the people of Jesus Christ, and we should all reflect on these words for the rest of our lives. Uh, in fact, uh, that's, that's what we should do, um, really. We, should, uh, we, we could easily spend our whole lives in wonder at the sheer reality just of who it is who is praying here, who it is lifting up his eyes to heaven, praying these words. And so in the words of uh, one of my old professors at George Fox, I went to George Fox, um, and uh, Paul Anderson, I think, was the one who would say, here's your homework for the rest of your life. And so here's your homework for the rest of your life. Consider the one who prays these words. Jesus Christ, Son of God, being of one substance with the Father, very God of very God. He's the true God. He's the eternal God. He's the only God. He's the whole God. In the flesh, God having become truly and perfectly human in the incarnation, and, and he is praying to the Father, God the Father, who is the true God, the eternal God, the only God, the whole God. Try to wrap your minds around that. Think about that for the rest of your life. Consider the relationship between the Father and the Son that has been opened to us, made known to us, not just for us to behold as from a distance, but really for us to participate in through the Spirit, that relationship between the Son And the Father is what's been opened up to us to participate in. Uh, In fact, you're doing that. You're considering this relationship, spending your lifetime in wonder, considering God, considering Jesus, is essentially what Jesus is praying for here in the verse that we've read from John 17. It's the answer to his high priestly prayer. It's the definition of eternal life itself. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So eternal life. Uh, in the Bible, uh, eternal life is not 
just when your heart continues to beat forever, you know, blood pumping through your veins and electricity firing around in, uh, in your brain. So uh, eternal life isn't just uh, physical life. Jesus defines eternal life by its spiritual nature. He defines it in essence that it's, it's knowing God. It's having a relationship with God where you know it. Someone who doesn't know Jesus, according to the scriptures, you find this language, is dead to God. Dead spiritually. Even, even if their heart is still beating, even if you know, they've got physical life, biological life, even if their heart were continuing to beat forever if they didn't know Jesus, that's spiritual death. According to the scriptures, it's true death. So in the Bible, true death is being cut off from God. It's being separated. It's being severed from the living God. And true life is being in a relationship with God that lasts forever. And that relationship, that life, it begins now in this world. It isn't just uh, <clears throat> something out there in the future, in the next world. But eternal life does carry on forever into the future, never-ending, because of the true nature of it, because of what it really is, because of what eternal life really is. Because this life consists of being in a relationship with the ever-living God, it is a life that will last as long as God lives. But Jesus isn't focusing on the duration of eternal life here. You know, we could say more about how long and what it's like to live forever with God, but he's focusing here on the nature of eternal life, on what it really is. He says that eternal life consists of knowing God and knowing Jesus. This is what eternal life means actually for God himself. This is what life is for God. The divine glorious life of the triune God is mutual knowing. The Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father in the Holy Spirit. And this is what God has intended for us, this life, the same thing that essentially defines the life of God, the eternal life of God. This is what he's intended for us as well by creating us in his own image. So an old uh, theologian, Thomas Aquinas, said that the, the purpose and the fruit of our whole life is the knowledge of the Trinity in unity. Not just the knowledge of the doctrine of the Trinity in abstraction. You know, we can recite formulas, and that's good. It's good to have those formulas and to hold fast to them and to learn more about what those formulas mean that we've recited for hundreds, even thousands of years. But not just the abstract knowledge of the doctrine of the Trinity. It's the knowledge of God in union, in close relationship with God. That's the purpose of our life. So in the Bible, this language of knowing is uh, not just abstract, it's not just intellectual, it's profoundly personal language. It's relational, it's intimate language. It's not like knowing technical information you read in an operator's manual. It's like a husband knowing his wife on, on, the, on their wedding night, right? when they become intimately familiar with one another. It's a knowledge of another person that's the way that the Scriptures define this kind of relational knowledge. It's the, the knowledge of another person that is captivated and absorbed and fascinated by the wonders of who that person is. So, you know, Hosea, this is the, the knowledge that God promised His people would have of Him. In Hosea, in, in that Old Testament reading, uh, 
when God says, I will betroth you to me forever in righteousness and faithfulness, and you'll know me. So maybe it seems impossible to you that God would be so interesting, that Jesus would be so interesting, that you could actually spend the rest of your life doing this homework and doing uh, an, an eternity, simply delighting to know Him. Maybe it seems like God is too boring for that to be eternally interesting. Uh, do you think God is boring? Actually, let me, put it, let me put the question this way. Do you think God is bored? Do you think that the persons of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, do you think they're bored of knowing each other, even though they've, this is what they've been doing, this is what life has been from all eternity? Do you think maybe that's why God created the universe, to, to have something else to think about, to distract Him, right? Uh, because He was bored with all this mutual knowing of divine persons that's been going on forever. No. I mean, as interesting as the universe that he created is, all the particles and places, all the supernovas and the sands made of seashells and the laws of physics and the nature of the elements and the birds who fly through invisible gases and the monsters in the hidden depths of the oceans and the bright corners of the cosmos that we'd never see in a million years, as interesting as the whole creation is, all of it together isn't as interesting as the one true God who made it all. Everything he made just affords an opportunity to know him and to enjoy him. And everything he made uh, should never be used to distract ourselves from knowing him. So i um, got this illustration, and uh, forgive me if you've heard it uh, before. I, I can't remember where I've used it. <clears throat> but, um, you know, let's just say you're married to, uh, let's say your, your husband is uh, the architect who designed the Louvre, you know, that, uh, that wonderful, most magnificent of all museums that's in uh, Paris. Not only is your husband the architect who designed it, he's the head curator of all the museum's art. I mean, we're getting into the impossible, obviously. And uh, not only that, he's the centrally featured artist with a grand exhibit of his own there. So imagine... Imagine you're visiting the Louvre. You're taking a few days to do it properly, of course. Imagine uh, doing that without giving a single uh, thought to your spouse, who's the architect and the curator and the, and the central artist. Not giving a single thought to your spouse, the one whose imagination brought together all that splendor. Imagine not giving a single thought to him, uh, even though it's his voice on the guided tour headset, and even though you're in his presence walking on his arm. Yet you never care to learn from him what makes him who he is, how he could possibly be so creative and so energetic, why he would do the great works that he does, because, you know, thinking about him is just not as interesting as looking at all this stuff. Thinking about him is just kind of boring. I mean, what a strange thing for you to think, especially since he's your husband, right? Uh, that isn't a problem with him actually being boring. That's a problem with our lack of interest, our, our lack of appreciation, our lack of love. Uh, have you ever seen those Dos Equis commercials? I don't know, I'm not in the habit of just promoting beer commercials, but they're pretty fun commercials. They're the most interesting man in the world, right? Uh, there's some fun commercials, 
you know, where they, they follow this guy. He's got this mystique about him, and the, the narrator will say something like, Years ago, he built a city out of blocks. Today, over 600,000 people live and work there. You know, he's the most interesting man in the world. His beard alone has experienced more than a lesser man's entire body. Or even his enemies list them as their emergency contact number. Or uh, people hang on his every word, even the prepositions. <laughs> or he can speak French in Russian. <laughs> you know, I love that. That's funny. All things that exist, visible or invisible, they come from the mind of God. He had all those ideas in the beginning because of who he is. He invented French. He invented Russian. <laughs> he invented the very idea of language itself. It comes from who he is. Because this God is the Word. He's the God who speaks, and people do hang on his every word, even on the prepositions. Knowing God... And knowing Jesus whom he sent is the most interesting thing in the world. It's the most magnificent thing imaginable. It's the very essence of eternal life. It's, it's the gift that cost Jesus' life to give to his people. So J.I. Packer said, What is the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. Knowledge of God. Go read J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. Jesus is saying that knowing God relationally as this holy trinity is what life is all about. It's the very definition of life, and it is glorious. Uh, and this means everything to us. It should infuse every aspect of our life as Christians in the church. We're here to live out eternal life together right now. So this means that knowing God and knowing Jesus as the one he sent into the world is right at the heart of everything we do. It isn't just one aspect of, uh, you know, sort of doing church together. As if knowing God relationally were just, you know, only something that happens maybe during these five minutes or during this hour, right, when you sit down to consider the scriptures or when you come to worship. Everything that we do is an opportunity for knowing Jesus. It's the purpose of our whole lives. So everything we do, especially as the church, as the people of Jesus Christ, is an opportunity for knowing Jesus. That's the privilege of being his people that he gives us as a gift of his grace. Maybe it's more obvious when it comes to things like, you know, studying God's word, proclaiming God's word, you know, these, these are kind of activities that we understand as knowledge-based or knowledge-centered activities. Missions work, evangelistic conversations, preaching and teaching, yeah, we understand these things is having to do with knowing Jesus. So if you say you want somebody to have eternal life, you're saying you want them to come to know Jesus, to have a relationship with Him, and to know God relationally through faith in Jesus. So we want to learn about Jesus. We want to come to know Him personally more and more and teach others about Him. And that's how Paul talks about his own ministry of teaching. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Nothing. Just Jesus and Him crucified. He doesn't even say, I decided to teach nothing among you except Jesus, but I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus. So even when you're teaching others about knowing Jesus, like Paul was teaching the, the, the church in Corinth, what it means to know Jesus, even when you're teaching others, it's an opportunity for you to know 
Jesus in his sentness and in his crucifixion and his sacrifice that makes known the love of God to us. And that's participation in eternal life, according to Jesus. And so it's something like prayer. When we pray, uh, especially when we pray together, we're knowing God in that personal, intimate, interested way, not just in academic or abstract ways. But this definition of eternal life given by Jesus himself extends to everything, everything in our lives, our community together in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is an opportunity for knowing Jesus. Every aspect of our community together is an opportunity for knowing Jesus. Our celebration of birth and baptism is an opportunity for knowing Jesus. Being called to show hospitality is an opportunity to know Jesus. Being called to love brothers and sisters who disagree with us is an opportunity to know Jesus. Being called to forgive those who hurt us, that's a huge opportunity for knowing Jesus. Being called to weep with those who weep is an opportunity for knowing Jesus who wept with those who wept. Our generosity, our service, our mercy, our justice, these are opportunities for knowing Jesus. That's that's the most important thing about them. Our suffering is an opportunity for knowing Jesus intimately, the one who suffered. These things are nothing if they're not opportunities for knowing Jesus. If your hospitality or your forgiveness or your deeds of compassion or your suffering, if they're not opportunities for knowing God, for knowing Jesus, if they're not features of this eternal life, then what what are they? If these things are, you know, they're just things anyone can do, really, apart from a relationship with Jesus, then they're not uniquely Christian. They don't belong to the, the heart of our spirituality. You don't have to be a part of the church in order to do all kinds of religious things. But that way of life, even doing all kinds of religious things apart from knowing Jesus, that's a participation in death. That's not life. The eternal life that we enjoy means that everything we do is a participation in our relationship with God. Everything we do is done for the sake of knowing Jesus. God in his sovereign providence is arranging all things in your life for the sake of your knowing God and for the sake of your knowing Jesus whom he sent. This is exactly what Paul wants most out of life uh, in Philippians 3, which actually is the passage that uh, Mike is preaching right now at Ascension. Uh, In Philippians 3, Paul lists all these religious accomplishments, all these ministry accomplishments. He was a good, law-keeping, righteous, zealous, Pharisee, very religious person, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. Great example of what it means to be a a Jew. And so he, he continues in Philippians 3, and he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God 
that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So when we suffer hardships, especially um, the pain of relationships, it's like the hardest stuff to suffer in the world. We suffer hardships when, when other people sin against us. God isn't just teaching us lessons. He isn't just maturing us in some abstract sense. When we suffer hardships, God is granting us the privilege of knowing Jesus. God is arranging for us to be able to relate to Jesus. To know what it's like for Jesus to be who He is. The one who suffered these hardships. Even to know what it's like for God to be who He is. Because God in the flesh was the one who came into the world and suffered hardships like this. And He's the one who's arranging for us to be able to relate to Him in all these things. When we suffer loss or grief or betrayal or even death, it's an opportunity to know Jesus most intimately. In fact, there's no true knowledge of Jesus apart from knowing Him and His sufferings. He is Jesus Christ crucified. That's the only Jesus you get. And if we're truly to know Him intimately, then God will make us familiar with sufferings like His. But, but this is the gift and the privilege of eternal life. By the amazing grace of God, it is true that we won't only know Him in His suffering, but also in the joy of His resurrection, as Paul said. I want to know him in his suffering so that I can also know him in his resurrection, in the glory of his ascension to God's right hand. But the main point of all of it is knowing Jesus. It's the main point of everything in our life as Christians in the church, and anything done apart from knowing Jesus is counted as loss. So we're not just here to be good, friendly people who help others. The whole purpose of our life is to know God and to know Jesus and to catch others up in knowing him as well. Let that be the heartbeat of your life together as the church of Christ. Close with the words of Hosea. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, no one has ever plumbed the depths of these words that were spoken by your Son in prayer to you on our behalf. We pray that you would help us to dive as deeply as possible into the glorious truth of these words. Help us not only to understand your gift of eternal life, but actually to live this gift, live this blessed life of knowing you and knowing Jesus. Help us to receive every moment as a gift, as an opportunity for relating to you, especially in our life together and our ministry as your people in the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.